This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Game 7. Nothing personal word of the day. It is Tuesday, May 30th, 2023. And the word is Game 7. If you have been sleeping or not paying attention, the NBA got exactly what it wanted. They did not want two sweeps. So the Nuggets, I don't know if you remember this, they won their series and made it to the finals, won the Western Conference about six weeks ago. They've been sitting around not knowing whether they'd be home for game one of the NBA Finals, flying to Boston for game one of the NBA Finals. They had to wait till last night. And after one of the strangest series you'll ever see. As a matter of fact, you may have only seen it three times prior to last night, where a team is up 3-0, and then the second team, which was down 3-0, wins the next three. You go to a game seven three times in history. Those three times, the team that had been up 3 nothing wins because 150 times a team that's been up 3 nothing wins the series and zero times the team loses the series. The majority of times they sweep or they win in six, five, but seven, only three times. But the Celtics were gonna make history. Everyone was on it. They were playing at home. They were the better team. This time's different. Ignore the history, ignore the numbers. Past results are not indicative of future performance until they are. Everyone takes the court prior to game seven. Quick side note, Coco, we didn't put this in the show, but we have to talk about it. NBA referee assignments are done prior to knowing what's gonna happen during the course of a series. So the seven game schedule is all set. Scott Foster and Tony Brothers being the referees for game seven of the Celtics Heat was not done so the Celtics can win and the Heat can lose. That's not how it works. Scott Foster, he can't win with Foster. Celtics win, Celtics cover. Heat don't even cover when Scott Foster's the referee. He is a pro Celtic. He's the Eric Lewis of referees. He loves the Celtics, hates the Heat. It's absolute horse hockey. We knew going into this game that it no longer matters whether you're at home or on the road. It no longer matters who's refereeing the game, not that it ever did. It only matters who's gonna make their shots. That's it. The NBA has totally changed over the years. It used to be that if you had a game seven at home, it was over, you won. As a matter of fact, in 148 game sevens in NBA playoff history, the home team wins about 75% of the time, 111 and 37. But how come in the last 11 game sevens, the road team has won eight out of the 11 times? Remember last year, we had a conversation about the Dallas Mavericks who went into Phoenix and crushed Phoenix in a game seven. 
Just in this year's playoffs alone, we had road teams winning game sevens. Don't forget what the Warriors did. So the Heat go into Boston. They get on their charter. Everyone is monitoring it. They know when the plane's taken off. They know when the plane's landing. They know when the bus is going to the hotel. Things are really different. Players used to share rooms back in the day. Visiting clubhouses used to be stinky. The Celtics clubhouse, the reason why they would never lose a game seven at home is Red Arback would make sure there was no air conditioning in the visiting clubhouse. He would make sure that the parquet floor was barely put down correctly when the visiting team was practicing. Whatever he could to have a home court advantage. Sharing rooms, terrible transportation, coach flights. Yeah, it used to happen. I don't think it's a coincidence that winning on the road has become easier and that the home court advantage has become less of a thing. It is not as hard on the body. The players are in better shape. There's better ideas of what to do with your body in terms of jet lag, in terms of food, in terms of prep, your body, what you're doing on the team planes, totally different now than what used to be done on team planes. You can get treatment on team planes now, totally different. So the Celtics open game seven, they're feeling like they're in great shape. What do you do when your star gets hurt on the first play of the game? Jason Tatum walks into the court, drives, does a Euro step, twists his ankle. The thing that you and I have talked about so many times that makes me worry about Giannis being the centerpiece of a team, when every time he does the Euro step, all I do is dream or have a nightmare about his ankle turning because one ankle turn, that's it. Tatum turns his ankle and that's it for him for the game. He plays, but totally ineffectively. Not even as a decoy could he be effective. But the Celtics come off, they, they lead, and all of a sudden the Heat start making shots. The Celtics are missing three-pointer after three-pointer. I get made fun of because of a pregame tweet which said, not like Magic Johnson, it's an actual tweet which said, whoever shoots best from three-point range is gonna win the game. And you all said, but David, what about game six? And I said, game six was quite the anomaly. You're right, game six, the Celtics did win and they didn't shoot well from three. But also you had Butler and Bam have horrible games and the Heat had a miraculous game from three. Would that be able to continue? The Heat hit a few threes, then the Celtics hit their first three, the Celtics have a little lead, then the Heat take the lead, and before you know it, the game's over. The Boston Celtics shot nine for 42 from three-point range. The Miami Heat shot 14 of 28. When you shoot 50% from three, you will win the game 9.69 times out of 10. So the game ends, you can go to other shows if you want a full recap of the game, but let's talk about what happens now. And let's start with the losing team. It's always the best place to start. The Boston Celtics, people are gonna say, Joe Missoula saved his job. He should have been fired if they got swept, but if you win three games in a row and losing game seven, Hey, they were right in it. They had a chance. They just didn't shoot well. He should keep his job. Brad Stevens is a really, really good front office figure for the Celtics. 
the evaluation of Joe Missoula was not made during the 48 minutes of game seven. The evaluation of Joe Missoula was made during the course of the year, during the course of the playoffs. You don't change your evaluation based on one performance. That would be like saying that you sign an ace pitcher who gives up five runs in the second inning of a start, trade him. He's not an ace, get rid of him. Or you play a season where you're the number two seed, you would have absolutely hosted the NBA Finals. You come back in a series where whether you won the second three, the first three, whatever it is, you lost in seven games, came back from down 3-2 against the Sixers in the previous round, if you want to mention that. Joe Missoula and I was first on the bandwagon. And I realized that the reason I was telling you that he should be fired when they were about to be swept by the heat is that I was putting my fan hat on. My front office hat tells me the evaluation of Missoula, did he control the locker room? Does he have the respect of the players who are close to his age? He's only 34 years old. Does he work well with the front office? Does he manage up as well as he manages down? Is he organized in how he runs practices and how he takes the game plan that's given to him and how he figures out how to manage in-game situations? Does he use his timeouts well? Wink, wink, we know there's times that he doesn't. All of these things will go in the hopper with what Joe Missoula's future is. But Joe Missoula's future was not based on either winning or losing that game. If they had it in their mind they were moving on from him, even though he didn't get a chance to have his own staff, even though he didn't get a chance to have a regular training camp, even though he took over under terrible, terrible circumstances from Ima Udoka after he had brought the Celtics himself to the conference finals and the NBA finals last year. Nothing was normal about Joe Missoula taking over the Celtics. So during the course of the evaluation period, which is ongoing during the course of a season, I think the Celtics look and they say, let's give him a staff that he's who he's comfortable with. Let's give him a full season and let's decide whether we're gonna run it back with Brown or with Tatum. Let's spend our time figuring out, are we gonna give Brown the extension that he's eligible for, which is like $295 million over five years? Do we have it in our mind that we're gonna give Tatum the extension that he's allowed to do next summer, which is 318 million over five. Are we willing to say that we are the offensive team that scores 113 points a game and just had one of those games in game seven where they scored the fewest points of the season, 84? As they decide what they're going to do, you've got to let today happen. You cannot make a decision based on the emotion of how you feel after getting so close because when you're down 3-0 and you make it to game seven, I promise you that everyone in the front office and everyone in that locker room assumed that the Celtics would finish the job, make history, and go to the NBA Finals. And when you have that expectation that you likely didn't have it 3-0, you didn't even have it 3-1, after you won game six, then you start thinking this is happening. So you're high, then you're low, and you cannot make the decision in either place. So I do not believe the Celtics will announce anything today as it relates to Joe Missoula. 
I do not think the Celtics will announce anything as it relates to Brown. I think they will come. They will clean out their locker room. They will take time away. And this is players and front office. If I'm the president of the Celtics, I'm saying, all right, we're not doing the meeting the day after the season. When you're running a baseball team that loses 95 games, your next season starts the day after the last game. When you lose a tough playoff series, you get the next day off. You may publicly say, we're right back at it. We're getting ready for training camp. We're getting ready for spring training, but you take the day because you do not want your top baseball minds, your top basketball minds, having any sort of kernel of a thought about what took place and having that in any way influence their advice or decisions on how to run the team or build the team for next season. What about the Heat? Are we willing to say right now that the Miami Heat are the best organization in basketball? Coke and I, before the show started today, had a bit of a debate. And here was the debate. I wanted to give you both sides. There is a stat that since 2006, the Miami Heat have been in the NBA Finals seven times. There's not one NBA team who's done it more. The Warriors have only been in six since 2006. The Cavaliers, five. Lakers, four. Celtics, three. Spurs, three. That's the list. Coca correctly pointed out, LeBron James is that list. LeBron James is four of the seven for the Heat, five of the five for the Cavs, and one of the four for the Lakers. Wait, so LeBron James has been in four, nine, ten finals? Coca, is that the stat? LeBron's been, is he, is he four and six in NBA finals? One title with Cleveland, one with the Lakers, and two with the Heat? I think that's what the numbers are. But that's only four of the seven. Without LeBron, the Miami Heat have been in the finals three times. They had Shaq, they had LeBron, and now they have Butler. This is Butler's second finals. That's one Shaq, four LeBron, and now two Butler. What's the one thing in common? Eric Spolster and Pat Riley. As much as we talk about Greg Popovich, as much as we talk about, oh, I'm gonna blow it, Coca. What is the name of the guy who runs the Warriors? Come on. It was, it was Steve Kerr as the coach, but I'm talking about the executive. Uh, Bob Myers, thank you. Much as we talk about Bob Myers, Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra, even more than Popovich, more than all of them, they have to get the credit for being the top coach-president duo in all of basketball. The Miami Heat, the number eight seed. Do you remember the last number eight seed to make the NBA Finals? It was my Knicks in 1999 when Popovich's Spurs beat the Ewing-led Knicks because Ewing got hurt. And that was the last time the Knicks had a shot at the finals. This is the Miami Heat team who I picked against in the nothing personal pick of the day in the play-in game. Why? Because they'd given up. They looked like crap to the Hawks. They were losing to the Bulls. And now they're in the NBA Finals. I should have known better than to ever think Pat Riley would allow a team to lose a play-in game. Pat Riley 
has now been in roughly 25% of every NBA finals in the history of the NBA. Just chew on that for one second. This is his 19th NBA finals as a player, a coach, or an executive. 19. You want to talk about winning time. Pat Riley is the definition of winning time. So the Heat get on their plane and they go right to Denver. They're in Denver now. They're sleeping. It's 6, 16 in the morning in Denver. They probably got to the hotel at four in the morning. They are sleeping. They will have some sort of stretch, some sort of optional workout today. There'll be some media availabilities because it's the NBA finals. There will be some sort of workout because you want to get your players' lungs used to Denver. And they've got two days off now, Tuesday and Wednesday before they open the series Thursday night as underdogs against a team that is clearly better than they are with the best player in the series, Jokic, which would indicate to you that there is no scenario under which the Miami Heat can win four times in the next seven games. Does this sound familiar at all? The Miami Heat are exactly where they wanna be. No one thinks they can win. No one thinks they should be there. And everybody assumes that the Nuggets are just waiting to be coronated. I'll preview the NBA Finals on Thursday. I'll give you my pick of the day Thursday and my series pick Thursday. But here's a little spoiler alert. I'm gonna rack my brains for the next 48 hours and I'm gonna try to figure out who in the hell is gonna guard Jokic. Is it gonna be Bam? How is Jokic not gonna average a triple-double for this entire series? I'm just watching this happen and trying to figure out exactly how he can be stopped. I'll be back to you in 48 hours. So as the Boston Celtics try to figure out what they're doing, try to nurse their losses, get it? Nurse their injuries, nurse their losses. The Philadelphia 76ers entered the news cycle when they announced that Nick Nurse will become their head coach. Yes, that Nick Nurse, the same one who won a championship with the Toronto Raptors, the same one who was then dumped by the Toronto Raptors, the same one whose assistant just took the head coaching job with the Bucks, and now he's taking over for Doc Rivers. I don't wanna give you a doctor nurse joke because you've seen him online, but I'm really wondering what went on in Nick Nurse's head. It is absolutely not accurate as I evaluate the coaching candidates and who interviewed where that Nick Nurse had no options other than the Sixers. It is plain for me to see that Nick Nurse chose the Sixers. He didn't choose the Sixers over the Bucks so his assistant, Adrian, could get the Bucks job. He didn't choose the Sixers over the Suns because he wanted to have Embiid or not Durant. What would have been the cause? Was it his best chance to win a title? Was it where he wanted to live, Philadelphia versus Milwaukee versus Phoenix? Did he not believe that he had, would have an opportunity to coach the best team of all of them, which is the Celtics? Did he think that Missoula Woodrow would not get fired? What made him not wait just to see whether the Celtics job could be open? What about the Sixers team made Nick Nurse say, I want to coach them? Well, 
there's been a few changes that have happened since I left professional sports. And one of them is the involvement of players in the hiring of coaches. It used to be that owners would call their star player, not the GM and not the team president, but the owner would call and say, hey, we're looking at this guy. What are your thoughts? Except they didn't mean it. No coach in my time or manager in my time was ever hired because a player gave the go ahead. We never, as part of the nine hour interview process with Theo and Joe Girardi walking the streets of Chicago, we never underscore never had a player in a meeting, had a player in an interview, never. You know what else we never did? We never had a coach or a managerial candidate go to the house of a player and have a meeting. Well, wouldn't you know it that Adrian Griffith, who's the coach of the Bucks, went to Giannis's house and met with Giannis and then was hired. I wonder whether Giannis calls up the president of the team and the owner of the team and says, yep, he's my guy, I like him. Or did Giannis meet with every candidate? Or did Giannis only meet with the candidate who was already getting the job? In which case, it didn't matter how the meeting went. I find it all to be very interesting to me. So Nick Nurse goes to Joel Embiid and has a meeting with Embiid. That was part of the interview process. And this has nothing to do with money. Coca's view, and I get it, I really do. When we were talking about this, he said, you know, when you pay a player $300 million, paying him $50 million a year, you've got him on your team for 10 years, whatever the contract is in baseball, don't you wanna get buy-in from that player? Don't you want, if you're the Bucks, to, for Giannis not to leave when he only has two years left? Don't you want your best players to be happy and supportive and be at the podium and be there and tell the teammates, this is our guy, let's listen to him? That's all fantasy island. That's not how it works. Whatever Giannis thinks about his coach or whatever Joel Embiid thinks about his coach, is not relevant when they've lost five in a row or they lose in the first round or they don't make it to the NBA or even conference finals. And executives know this. That's what's so bizarre to me. What are executives in the interview process learning about the candidate from a meeting the candidate has with the player? Does the player have a checklist like a Mad Libs board where they fill in the blank? My name is Joel. I've met with Nick Nurse. The meeting lasted 87 minutes. I like him. I, circle it, trust him. I will play for him. I love his play calling. I mean, would you GMAB for one quick second here? You don't think we've gone a little far with this whole player empowerment thing? Forget the fact that we'll trade players if they demand to be traded. Forget the fact that it's a player-led league. I can't think of another business where this happens. But then you meet, can you imagine 
the employees of an airline meeting with someone and saying, hey, yeah, we think he should be the CEO. Oh yeah, the unions have a say. The unions get to talk about who's gonna be the head of their company or the chairman of their board. Give me a break. You do it like as an olive branch? I don't need to throw olive branches to players. And this is not me being pro-owner or pro-management and anti-player. It's me talking about the practicality of the process. If an employee believes that they have that much say over that type of position, you're gonna have a big problem with that employee. Because sometimes you have to treat an employee like an employee. So Nick Nurse is going to be the head coach of the Sixers. And I'm going to laugh when Nick Nurse, during the interview process with Daryl Morey, Daryl Morey says, hey, we've got a minutes thing here that we do. And Nick, Nick Nurse says, no problem, I agree. I'll do whatever you want, Daryl. I'm just so happy to be here. I believe in this team. I don't know if you know this, but Nick Nurse plays his players to the bone. He's the Dusty Baker of basketball in terms of abusing his pitching staff and ruining chances of winning. I'm talking about when he was with the Cubs. Nick Nurse plays his guys. I wonder whether Joel Embiid wants to play 42 minutes a game or 44 minutes a game. I wonder whether Nick Nurse was told by Joel Embiid whether Joel wants Harden back because it appears to me that I guess the Sixers front office is waiting to hear from Embiid what to do with Harden. Or did Nick Nurse say, hey, I just like the school system in Philadelphia. However you slice it, the coaching carousel continues to spin. Nick Nurse has found a home. That leaves Doc Rivers. That leaves the Phoenix Suns. Maybe the Boston Celtics? Nah. You know what, Coca, can we do an official wait to see on this if you don't mind? I'm gonna do one. Here it is, it's official. Joe Missoula will not be fired by the Boston Celtics. Wait to see. That's official. You can book it. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, we're gonna review the second of three series that are coming to an end this week and how I feel about that. And then we're gonna talk about something that's going on in Toronto, which is a question you asked. I don't know whether or not someone asked it from Toronto, but it is clearly about someone who plays in Toronto. We'll be right back. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hey, 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. Matthew Koch and David Sampson, thank you for all the people who reached out yesterday. And we got a lot of people reaching out, thanking us for doing a show. It's us who should be thanking you. I don't quite understand why we would get credit for doing a show. I mean, I get it's a federal holiday and everything, but it's a day that ends in Y that starts with M, T, W, T, or F. We're going to have a show for you. It's what we do. There'll be some time that we take off, but in the middle of this type of sports cycle, forget about it. Every day, live at 8 a.m., Nothing Personal with David Sampson is the YouTube channel. Please go to it and subscribe. And if you're watching this now, you could be interacting with Coca while I'm talking. I have no idea. Or if you're listening, thank you. Subscribe, tell your friends about us. Movie, every day I watch. Also TV series. I've been watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel since it first debuted and I fell in love with it immediately and I tried to tell people you don't have to be Jewish to love it. It is about a Jewish family in the 60s. It stars Rachel Brosnahan, Tony Shalhoub, who I never watched. I have a Mia Culpa here. I have not seen one episode. Coca. It's not House, or is it House? Tony Shalhoub was the star and an award winner for a series, and I did not watch one episode. I had seen him in a few things, but not really. Monk, thank you. Monk, not House. What's, what's the guy's name in House? That's another series I never watched, and I can't remember who stars in it. Yes, his name is Laurie. Bob um, something Laurie. Hugh Laurie. Way to go, Coca. He's on it. I wish you. I wish we had a camera on Matt. When we get into the Meadowlark studio sometime in August or September in New York, hopefully we'll have a camera where you can see what Coca does during the course of a show, where he's got five screens open. He's trying to listen to me. He's talking in one ear. He's typing stuff on the document. He's looking up stuff. And he comes up with Monk, just like that. Anyway, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, a show created by Amy Palladino, is a show about a woman in a time when there aren't a lot of women comedians who decide she doesn't want to be a housewife anymore. She wants to be a stand-up comedian. During the course of the show, the budget of the show changes. If you go back to season one, which I strongly suggest you do, it is a show where they didn't know what would happen. Would it be successful? By the time the show gets to the last few seasons, the budget per show increases. There's a lot more musical numbers. There's a lot more costume changes, set changes. They did a season in Miami. They do forward-looking things, past things. And the bottom line is this. The series ended. Alex Bornstein is her agent, is Midge Maisel's agent. And we finally learn, after five years, why it's called The Marvelous. Mrs. Maisel. I want to do a shout out to two things right now, Coca. Again, this was not in the rundown and I'm sorry it should have been. The writers are on strike in Hollywood right now. I'm sure you're noticing all of the reality shows that are debuting on TV. 
you may not have realized the impact that having no writers is having if you don't watch late night talk shows where there's only one late night talk show right now that's still happening and that is watch what happens live. Writers are brilliant. Writers are everything. You need actors to bring the words to life. You need directors and editors to put it all together. But nothing happens without a writer. And writers are playing chess while the rest of us are playing checkers. Writers have a plan. They have an arc for a character, for a show, for a season. What they did in the writer's room of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel as they brought it to its conclusion, as they explained the background of stories, the future of stories, as they showed you what happens when someone chooses career over family, it hit me. It hit me the respect I have for writers, and it hit me that maybe I'm not alone when I always would choose career over family and then be surprised at the loneliness of that choice. The last episode of the last season of Mrs. Maisel clearly shows that whatever bed you make, you better be willing to sleep in it and you better be committed to it or you'll end up being bad at all of it. And is that really what you want? Midge Maisel became a star. What was the price of fame, the price the loneliness, is it overshadowed by the accomplishment? You'd have to ask Mitch Maisel. The show would indicate that maybe it was and maybe it wasn't. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is a show that if you haven't seen, I strongly suggest watching. All right, Coca, talk to me from the great white north. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. I love this segment. It's from the movie Half-Baked. For that 11.2% of you on a daily basis who may be new to the show, thank you. Although it can't be 11% every day. That would mean the show was growing. Oh no, it could be 11% new because there could be people who aren't watching who were watching. That doesn't mean the show's growing 11% every day. But for all the people who have not heard this segment, it's from a movie called Half-Baked. And here's the question. Get in my Twitter at David P. Sampson and ask a question. Mr. Sampson, before I read the question, I'm David. You say, Mr. Sampson, I'm looking for my grandpa. Mr. Sampson, what would you do if one of your players represented a belief you did not agree with? I'm wondering whether you would let Anthony Bass play for your team. Well, Thanks for asking that question. That is a very difficult question, but one that is important that we talk about. Let me catch you up. Anthony Bass is a relief pitcher, 35-year-old relief pitcher for the Toronto Blue Jays. You may have heard of him because he's the one who was upset that his family had to clean up popcorn on a flight, went viral. He is known for his right-leaning views, for being friends with people on the right, for having certain potential views about LGBTQ and other issues that can be quite, not just complicated, but divisive. In sports, every team is now doing a pride night. 
and we have seen some of the issues in hockey come to the forefront where there were players who did not believe in LGBTQ, would not wear the pride jerseys, would not go out for the pre-skate. Teams have canceled. You saw the issue with the Dodgers, which was an absolute nightmare. What the Dodgers did where they uninvited a group to a pride night. Then they had a re-invited group. They upset the Catholics. Then they upset the LGBTQ community. Everybody's upset. What do you do when you're running a team? You sell tickets. The reason why there's a pride night, the reason why there's a Jewish heritage night, a Cuban heritage night, a Dominican heritage night, a Puerto Rican heritage night, a Colombian heritage night, is you sit down with your group salespeople and you say, hey, any ideas? Do I think it's great to be inclusive? Of course I do. Am I inclusive? Of course I am. Why? Because you know my number one is live and let live. You do you, I'll do me. And if we have no intersecting points, then we'll be parallel forever. Tolerance, another one of my key words. What are you doing to impact my life? You don't agree with abortion? How can you not agree with pro-choice? You don't agree that children or young adults of a certain age should get hormonal treatment or should be transgender? That's your right with your children. Let other people deal with their children. So the Toronto Blue Jays have a pride night coming up and they actually had to release a statement. And the statement said that individual player sentiments are not representative of the club's beliefs. Have you ever watched a show back in the 80s or 90s? And if you're too young, you may not know what I'm talking about. Every opinion show that was on a network would have a proviso. It would read, the views contained herein do not necessarily represent the views of blank. Blank being the network, blank being the company, blank being the owner of the network, but it always was caveated that way. It was always okay for people to have different opinions, for people to express those opinions, as long as the company made it clear, hey, we may not agree. What teams are doing now is the same thing. They're distancing themselves from an employee who has a certain point of view. Totally fine. I am 100% in favor of Anthony Bass having whatever view he wants, posting what he wants on Instagram. Just like I told you about Kyrie's post. He wants to post something about a movie that's anti-Semitic, post it. Don't say a racial slur because that we're not gonna stand for. If you represent something we don't like, we could suspend you. Or we could sit with you, have you take down the post, have you apologize, meet with a couple people and everything will be okay. What's changed? What's changed is people's tolerance for views that aren't them, their own. What's changed is people's belief that anyone can think something different than what they think. What's changed is the discussion, not are you right or are you wrong, but you're different than I am, so definitionally you're wrong. When did that happen?
But your question is slightly more specific. Your question is, would I allow a player on my team who had beliefs that are different than mine? I had non-Jewish players all over my teams. I had players on the left, I had players on the right. Of course I'm okay with players on the team who have different beliefs than I have. Here's what I'm not okay with. Players whose beliefs or whose actions are a distraction. Action, okay. Distraction, not okay. I don't want to deal with a 35-year-old reliever who's mediocre at best, who's making me spend part of my day putting out statements or dealing with the media on an issue when I've got a team in last place with a record that'd be good enough to be in first place in another division, but I digress. I don't want to deal with him. First step, Anthony, do me a favor, man. I'm fine. Whatever you want to believe, you can believe. I'm happy to debate you or not debate you. I'm happy to discuss it with you or not discuss it with you. But please, is there any chance that you'd be willing to lay off social media? I started this with players back in the, God, back when social media first started. Logan Morrison was one of the first people I ever dealt with with social media where I said, for the love of God, F-T-L-O-G, stop posting. I think that today, if I were running a team, I would be having the same fight. The posts on social media are such a distraction. It causes me to make decisions I may not want to make, or it helps me make decisions that I already wanted to make. I do not believe that Anthony Bass will survive this. I do not believe it's in the best interests of the team when the team is in last place to have to deal with this issue. If there is an opportunity to designate Anthony Bass for assignment due to his performance, they're going to take the opportunity and designate him. However, they have to do it only based on his performance. MLB will be very clear with the Blue Jays that you will not be able to withstand a grievance if you release a player because of a belief that player has. That is worse than service time manipulation. That's brain manipulation. That's political manipulation. But the minute Anthony Bass struggles, the Blue Jays will move on from him because the juice will no longer be worth the squeeze. So we'll see what happens, but thank you for your question. I appreciate that. And please don't call me Mr. Sampson. I'm David. David, not Dave, not Sampson, just David. Okay, nothing personal pick of the day. Are you happy we had the Heat plus seven and a half versus the Celtics? I hope you are, because that's a win. Are you happy we had the White Sox over the Angels? I hope you are, because that's a loss. We went one and one. We are 81 and 81. That's a season. I I don't think, Coca, you won't be able to check this quickly. In 18 seasons, I am 99.9% sure. As a matter of fact, I'm 100% sure. Never finished a season 81 and 81. Finished a bunch of 79 and 83s, some 83 and 79s, some 62 and a hundos. Only one of those. 
81 and 81 just feels like crap, doesn't it? It's like we're one hot streak away from being a wild card team. And what, what do we do this for? We just had a six month grind and we're 81 and 81. That's how I feel about my picks of the day. We're 162 picks in. We're at the end of May and I'm back at 500. All right, I got two baseball games for you today. Close your ears, Matt. We're taking the Phillies over the Mets. Let me give you why. Phillies start a big series against the Mets and this matters to me. When you are in a post-Memorial Day situation and you are playing a team in your division in a sport called baseball, in a league where they got rid of the unbalanced schedule, which means you play your division foes fewer times than ever before in the previous 20 years, you've got to make hay when you can. The Phillies are looking up at the Mets. The Phillies have been disappointing all season long. And if they are even attempting to change the narrative, they've got to start now. Ranger Suarez has been so bad for the Phillies that I can't believe he gets the ball every five days. Senga has been fine, a middle of the rotation, bottom rotation guy for the Mets, got all that money out of Japan. We're getting the Phillies plus 115 in a series where if Rob Thompson, the manager of the Phillies, has anything going for him, he's getting his players to understand the importance. We'll see how it goes, but we're taking the Phillies. And then I'm gonna go to another big series with a team that I can't spend enough time talking about. You may wanna be bored. Oh, thank you, Coca. In 80 and 82 in 2010. Yeah, okay. Maybe were we 80, were we 79 and 82 going into the last game? So we couldn't finish at 500, but we wanted to get the 80th win. 80 and 82 just sounds better to me than 81 and 81, doesn't it? Even though it counts as a season below 500. Anyway, I digress. We were 78 and 81. So we ended up winning three out of our last four. All right, there you go. Who did we play in that final series? 2010. Pirates? No recollection of that. I must have been, was it at home or in Pittsburgh? Because that was one of our last two years of pro player. Because our last year was 2011. I always go to when the season ends. We were at home. One of the things you do when the team, side note, when a team ends on the road, you're with the team. Even if you're out of the playoffs, you go to the final road trip because you're meeting with your coaches and you're firing the coaches right after in the last series. Sometimes you fire them two, two games before the end and then they just leave. Or you sit with them and you say, hey, you're coming back. Then you sit with the manager, you say goodbye to the players because the majority of players, when you end on the road, they don't even fly with the team back to your home city. They leave and go home. Anyway, thank you, Coca. Memories ending with the Pirates. By the way, you see the Pirates are below 500? Didn't take that long. Everyone was saying how great the Pirates are. They did it. Best record in the National League. They're below 500 Memorial Day. They're gonna lose 90 games just as I told you they would. It's a long season, folks. All right, so we got the Phillies over the Mets. Here's the second game that I'm watching and the team I love talking about, the Padres. Love to hate them, baby. Marlins are playing the Padres in Miami. That's a tough one for me because one of the teams is gonna win. Sandy Alcantara has not defended his Cy Young award very well, but when he's giving 130 to an anemic lineup, even though Soto's been playing better, I'm loving it. Marlins over the Padres. Padres better start winning. They are in trouble. So we got the Phillies over the Mets, the Padres losing to the Marlins. We've got the NBA Finals starting Thursday. 
We've got the Vegas Knights and the Panthers in the Stanley Cup. What a time to be alive. And Tom Brady's going to start for the Raiders. Nah, I'm just kidding. It's just business. See you tomorrow at 8 o'clock. This is nothing personal. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.